This morning's scripture reading comes from James chapter 1, verses 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Praise God. Thank you, Brother Brandon. <clears throat> wisdom. Wisdom. Knowing and understanding and seeking to understand God's word is, uh, is indeed the first, the first sign of wisdom. Knowing that you cannot do things uh, without him. Um, knowing that as God sends us forth into every new season, because we talked about we all have seasons in our lives, not necessarily tied to the four seasons, summer, winter, fall, and spring, amen. But God may choose to do things at the beginning of a, of a weather season or whatever. But uh, seasons in our lives come about when there's a new chapter in our life that's about to be opened up when we're going forward. Um, and as we're going into these new seasons, as we said before, we can't be worried. Um, we hear some people talking about there's such uncertainty in life and for us Christians there should not be uncertainty at all because we know that God is with us Um, and we should know that God is our source for everything that we have for everything that we need and knowing that God will provide all of our needs we cannot continue into seasons with worry or being anxious about things that are in our lives God is doing a new thing in many of our lives. There are new things happening. Some things we are aware of, some things we are yet to be made aware of, but God is is always doing a new thing. And we should look forward to these things with uh, anticipated joy. So as God sends us on a new season, again, looking at the Word of God as usual, how did Jesus handle this? And we're going to look at where Jesus sent forth his um, disciples uh, in, uh, in a new season, if you will, in sending them on a journey. So f- turn to Matthew 10. Matthew 10, book of Matthew, chapter 10. Okay, and we're just going to look at a, a, a contrast here because we're not going to, to dwell a lot in Matthew, chapter 10. But we do see a couple of things happening here in, in, in uh in Matthew as compared to the next scripture we're going to go to. Matthew chapter 10, looking at verse number 1, we just see that it says, And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. And then he goes on to name them. And then down in verse number 5 he says, Jesus, These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So we see here in, the, in chapter 10 that, that Jesus sent out these 12 disciples, and he said to them specifically, Do not go to the Gentiles, only go to the lost sheep of the tribe of Israel. So basically he was saying, First, I want you to minister to the Israelites. I want you to minister... To, to, to them first. Ignore the rest of the world. Okay, Gentiles were, were anyone, and it was anyone that was not Jewish, that was not an Israelite, that, that was a Gentile. So don't even go to the Samaritans. Okay, go to the house of Israel first because they're lost. So God wanted to bring them back, wanted to bring them to Him. Um, Israel is God's chosen people, and that's a whole separate sermon in itself. I won't even get into that right now. But um, everything that's happening in the world today and people that are turning against Israel, they don't know who they're fooling around with. I mean, this is the, they're God's chosen people. And, you know, get into the Palestinians versus, I won't even get in. That's a whole separate sermon. But, but, but God has them there for a reason. And over all of these thousands of years with all of the 
wars that they've had, um, they've never really been totally, totally defeated. I mean, or at least God brought them through. Even after they were defeated, God brought them through. So we see that, that Jesus limited it at this point to these 12. And here, if you will, relative to our lives, this is where God in many times sends us forward. And in the same fashion, he may limit what he's sending or to whom he is sending us. He may limit it to maybe family and friends, that close circle of people. So that means then that we have a charge many times to go forth and to minister to those that are around us. Not necessarily in some seasons of your life to be focused on those outside of that limited circle. Sometimes God will put you in a position where he wants you to bring a message to those that are close to you, to bring a word to those that, that you love, you know, to bring a word to, to those that are friends and so forth in a similar fashion. Now, then we see a shift here going to Luke chapter 10. Turn to Luke chapter 10. And we see a wider dispersal, if you will, or sending forth here. Because now Jesus is sending forth 70, okay? He started with the 12, which was to a very select group of people. Again, sometimes God will have us sending forth and going forth to minister to a, a group of people. Some of us have been called to go and aid family members. Some of us have been called and told to, to go forth and spend some time. And when you're there, you may not even realize what good that you're doing until after you've returned. You may not realize how God has sent you there on a mission, if you will, you know, to minister to that small select group of people. Amen. So now God here in Luke, in, in Luke 10, and we're going to start with verse number 1. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself would come. Therefore he said unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray you therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into this harvest. Go your ways, behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Go your ways, behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Carrying neither purse, nor bag, nor shoes, and greet no man by the way. And into whatever house you enter, first say, peace be unto un this house. Verse number four, they're underlined or bracketed if you don't already have it that way. Carry neither purse, nor bag, nor shoes, and, uh, and, greet, and greet no man by the way. So here he's saying, don't worry about carrying money with you. Don't worry about clothing and things. He said, just to go. So when God is sending us on a mission and, go, and sending us someplace or going into a new season even, you know, while it might not be directly related to you ministering to someone at first, it's simply knowing that God is going to send you into a new season. That new season could be a new condition. It could be a new way of life. It could be a physically a, a move. It could be a job. It could be a school. Whatever that new thing is that's popping up in your life, in essence, God is saying, don't worry about making all these um, worldly preparations in terms of money and clothes and all like that. He says, just go knowing that I'm going to send you. He then also says, in whatever house, verse 5, whatever house you enter into, first say, peace be unto this house, and if the son of peace be there, your peace shall rust upon it. If not, it shall 
turn to you again, and in the same house remain eating and drinking, um, drinking such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house. So he's saying you go to the house and you, and you say, peace be unto this house. And if God, the God of peace, is there, that the peace will rest upon the house. If not, it shall turn to you again. And in the same house, if the peace is there, remain eating and drinking such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house. Um, I, so many times when you go places, you need to, be, to get to the point where you are spiritually sensitive to your environment. You need to be able to feel and sense whether or not that peace is in that house or whether or not whatever is going on there. Um, this is critical, especially if you are house hunting, if you're looking for a house. You know, my wife and I, over the years, from time to time, whenever we were house hunting, you know, and we went to a place, you could sense if there was, was turmoil in that place. You could, you could sense the unrest. You know, conversely, you could walk into a house and you would feel that peace where it's like a quiet and it's just a calm, you know. And you need to be sensitive to that, especially in this day and age, because you do not know what all has gone on in houses before that, you know. Um, I, and this is just my personal thing, and, and, and uh, you know, I certainly have, have prayed about it, and I'm not telling that everyone in the world should do this, but I do know, because I mean, it depends on what, in terms of house hunting, depending on what you're looking at and what your financial situation is and what you feel like doing. One thing my wife and I made a vow to do many years ago, and that was never to buy a house that had gone through foreclosure because the people that were living in that house more than likely were so were so tormented with the issues that bring a family unfortunately to the point of being foreclosed you know you don't know what issues and how much how much angst there was or how much much spiritual division or concern was going on so that that kind of spirit oftentimes can remain there in the house from a spiritual point of view okay this is this is this is factual based on the word of god this is why god told israel to do so many things when it was going into foreign lands and so on like that. Now, I'm not saying by, by a rule of thumb, I'm not saying that the Word of God says, I can't tell you chapter and verse and you won't find, do not buy a foreclosure. That is not written in the Word of God. I'm not saying that at all. All I'm saying to you is to pray and, and, and have some spiritual discernment for whatever new dwelling you are thinking about buying. Pray about it. Feel what Holy Spirit may be showing you. Feel what you feel is the, the um, attitude, for, one, for want of a better word, of the, of the house. But anyway, but if the peace is there, Jesus is saying to stay. Verse number 8 says, And into whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you, and heal the sick that are there, and say unto them, The kingdom of God is come near unto you. But into whatever city you enter and they receive you not, Go your ways out into the streets of the same and say, Even the very dust of your city which clings to us we do wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be sure of this, that the kingdom of God is come near unto you. So when you're ministering to someone and you're trying, you know, you're trying to, to give the word, you know, it's not up to you to try to save that house or to save that individual. Holy Spirit does the saving, you know, remember that. God may send us to people. God may want us to talk to people. By all means, you do that and you witness it. And there's a fine line between, between feeling a responsibility to minister to someone. You may say, well, this is a family member, this is a loved one, this is a close friend. I feel a responsibility to minister to them. Yes, that is true. But it is not your responsibility to save them. Okay, because if that was the case, then everyone in your family would be saved. Everyone in my family would be saved. Everyone in the world would be saved. Why? And why is that? 
you stop and you understand the word of God is because salvation is a personal thing and only the person through accepting Jesus Christ can be saved. Amen. So you can push and pull and cry and pray over this person all you want, but ultimately it's their decision to accept Jesus Christ. Okay. And receive the infilling of Holy Spirit. You see, so, so, so the reason why you need to be able to get to the point to comfortably say, well, I tried. You know, I, I tried talking to them and doing all of this. I will continue praying for them, but now it's time for me to move on. It's time for me to move on. Because otherwise, if you don't, God in his wisdom, of course, God in his wisdom knows how we are. And we take upon us the burdens. We take upon us the burdens. We take upon us the burdens of family, friends, loved ones, or whomever that have not come to the Lord. Or, or, or doesn't seem to be coming to the Lord, we take upon us that burden. Well, it's not our burden. Because then what the devil does, he takes that burden now that you've taken upon yourself, and then he starts whispering things of guilt in your ear. You see, you talk to him, and how much good did it do? You're a failure. You didn't say the right scriptures. You should have said this. You should have said that. Go back. Camp out at their house 24-7. Just keep calling, keep calling them, you know, and all sorts of other things. And the devil plants that in you. And then you start, be, 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 you start feeling that you're the failure because you're taking the responsibility. Jesus, obviously, very wisely, it says, if they do not receive it, to dust your sandals and move on. Okay? And we have to get to that point, you know. And this is not a theological, philosophical, you know, you know a, a, a theoretical discussion that I'm having here, that I'm talking about here. I've known many people over the years, for 30, 40 years, have carried a burden for a husband. And I'm speaking of an individual, a woman that comes to mind, you know, back east, you know, for 30, 40 years, all right? And the man passed on, and she felt terrible. Because she, quote-unquote, could not save him. All right? The devil had turned her poor head around so much that she was being tormented because she had taken on the burden for his salvation. Okay? And we can't do that. All we can do is to talk to them, minister to them, as Holy Spirit so guides. But at some point, you may have to say the only thing, and be reminded, the only thing that God requires me to do is to continue praying for this person. All right? And you can go on your merry way. You can move 5,000 miles away. You can still pray for him. It doesn't mean that you're putting yourself through the angst of trying to get them to say the words. Confess Jesus, doggone it. <laughs> you know, shaking them to say the words. You know, because it, it won't get there. Amen. So Jesus says to dust off, okay? So this is the same the way he's seven, sending the 70 forward. Be aware that in these new seasons in our lives, that God is also sending us forward. Um, verse number... Um, Verse number 12, but I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. So there's a consequence to a group of people, you know, rejecting the word of God. There's a consequence to it. 13, woe unto thee, Chorazin. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which have been done in you, they had a great while ago uh, repented, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted to heaven, shalt be thrust down to Hades. He that hears you, hears me. And he that despises you, despises me. And he that despises me, despises him that sent me. 
Okay? So that means that when you're talking to people, you know, and God is sending you forth and you're realizing that they're hating what you're hearing and so on like that, you know, you can kind of get some consolation out of that. Well, all of that anger is not pointed at me. It's being pointed at Jesus. And obviously it's being pointed at God, the Father, because I'm simply here saying what the Word of God is telling me to say. Amen? Amen? Uh, Verse 17. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject unto us through thy name. All right? So these 70 went forward, and the things that they were doing, they were amazed. They were amazed, you know? And in similar fashion, when we're following what God is telling us to do, the things that you see happening in your life, sometimes you'll stop and you'll say, gee whiz. You know, that really worked, <laughs> you know, and you're going forth and you're doing what God is telling you to do in faith. But being human, being human that you are, you, you know, you know and, and I will not say that I'm any different. I mean, as much faith as I have in God and something that I'm praying for. And then when it does come to pass, I say, wow, I got it. I got it. You, you, you know, you know, you know, and and, and and the more that happens in your life and the more you give the glory to God, the more faith that gives you stronger faith, because then as those bigger things come along in life because interesting enough that's the way it seems to happen you know you know at first you you know you 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 you, you pray for a volkswagen you know not anything not that anything's wrong with volkswagens all right okay so somebody start writing he hates volkswagens you know you pray for a volkswagen and everything and and, and boom god blesses you with a volkswagen you're like wow i got that volkswagen you know, the next thing you start praying for gee i wish i had a, a a cd player to go in that volkswagen and boom god blesses you with a volkswagen and every single uh, with, a, with a cd player and then as these things enlarge and grow in your life when the time comes to you to pray for that Cadillac okay your faith has grown to the point where paying for that praying for that Cadillac is not so outrageous at all to you okay and God does the same thing to us in our lives all right something small and insignificant you may be praying for and God will bless you with that thing and then you'll say wow you know look I always tell young married couples when they first get when they get their first apartment to take pictures of it take pictures of your first apartment And then 20 years down the road, you know, you go back and you're going through your scrapbook and you're looking at it as you're sitting in your sumptuous new surroundings after 30 years of hard work and being in the Lord and and benefiting by God's goodness. You go back and you look at your pictures. My wife and I have done it, you know, in that first little two-by-four room that you lived in, in our case a studio, you know. You look at that and you see how God has blessed you over the many years, you know, and you look at that, you know, so that when something significant comes into your life that seems like it's a mountain, you go back to those pictures and you look at where you were and where you are. Okay, and then you know that if God brought you through all of that, this next big thing that you're praying for out there can certainly come along. It can certainly happen. And the same thing will be with the new season. Amen. The new season can be in many forms, as I said. It can be a house. It can be a job. It can, it can be a new baby. Uh, um, new seasons is what, is what God brings us into. You don't go into those seasons with worry and uncertainty, you know. You look back and you see the issues that you had, you know, with the first babies and things. And look how God brought you through. Look at the challenges of life as they become teenagers. Look at the challenges in life when they get into college. Look at the challenges of life after they graduate and talk about getting married. Okay, and you look at all of those things, amen, and you say, this is where God brought me through, and I know God will continue to bring me through, amen. And it's all new seasons, amen. For the person getting into the situation, the new baby, the marriage, kind of, this is a new season. 
You know, and as long as you keep God there and know that God is sending you forth equipped. Now, we're going to talk about what God is sending you forth and what kind of how he's equipping you. But as you go into these new seasons, don't go into it with uncertainty. God brought you this far. He certainly has no intentions of, of deserting you. Amen. So now to put what I, all of this that I'm saying, to put it into practical, practical action here. Um, so they came back and they said in verse 17 again, they were amazed with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject unto us through thy name. Verse 18. And he said unto them. I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Now, this is Jesus, okay? I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. This goes back, and it just backs up um, um, John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, okay? And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, etc., etc. Jesus and God the Father, the Holy Spirit, always were. Always were. All right? All right? At some point, the Bible doesn't tell when, but at some point, the angels were created. Okay, God created them. So Jesus was there when Lucifer was kicked out of heaven. All right, so this is just letting you know Jesus speaking with some authority here. I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. All right, bracket that whole thing, and let's just break it down a little bit here. But behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Now, you, you, you see there where it says, you see two words for power. The first word power um, in the actual Greek is exousia, E-X-O-U-S-I-A, exousia, and it means authority. Okay, so that reads, behold, I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power. Now, the second power is taken from the word dunamis, uh, from which the word Dynamite is, is, is eventually has been eventually derived, which means explosive power, you know, a, a forceful kind of power. So this is saying, behold, I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all of the power, explosive power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So, so that knowing that and understanding that means that you have the God-given authority not to accept what the devil would try to bring into your life. All right? You have the authority not to go for those plans and those schemes and those things that the devil would try to do to upset you and to make you think that your plans are going, are going awry. All right? He gives you all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Um, it's interesting, though, just a, a little bit of a sidebar to tread on serpents and scorpions. I give you the authority. This is where some, some folks have been so foolish, and you may have heard some of those groups that have snakes in the in the pulpit in the sanctuary and they actually go through snake handling and drinking the you know this is not this is taking the word of God totally out of context and this is not what God is talking about here you know serpents and things are representative of evil works and so on like that so it does not mean just because Jesus gave you the authority that you should go out into the wilds of Oregon find a snake and start playing around with it alright <laughs> a poisonous snake just to just to do that this is not what this is talking about at all alright then it says in verse number 20 notwithstanding in this rejoice Rejoice not that the spirits, not, notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. All right, so what he's saying there, because they were so amazed that the demons were bowing to them and that they were, were, were obeying what they were telling them to do and rebuking them, he's saying the main thing that you should be rejoicing about is that your name is actually written, is written in heaven. You know, you see, and did you ever stop and think about that? Why do we on this earth go through so much turmoil and, and, and strife and angst 
you know, we forget that our names are written in the book of life. I mean, in heaven, the places that's really important. Amen. So we need to keep it in the, in the proper context here, our perspective. So verse 21 says, And in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hidden these things from the wise and the prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All right? So what he's saying there is that he thanks them, that, that these things are hidden from the wise and the prudent. Um, this is why m- many times we talk about the things of God and the things in Scripture are not of the intellect. It goes beyond the intellect. I mean, you, you, you know, we read so with our intellect, but the, thing, the things of faith is not from us being able to reason out and rationalize why the things of faith work the way they do. Amen? And what he's saying is that it's been hidden from the wise and the prudent, and that's why they just can't get it, but it has been revealed un- unto babes, and we are those babes because in faith we're, we're kind of childlike in faith. Even so, Father, for so it de- seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered to me of my Father, and no man knows who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, and he to whom to whom the Son will reveal him. You see? So Jesus has to be revealed to us. It, it, it goes beyond us just intellectually knowing about Jesus, the true nature of Jesus, understanding a deep relationship to Jesus, comes through a revelation by God through the Holy Spirit. And when we get to the point that we really understand who Jesus is, that's what, what, where, where God really starts opening you know, deep spiritual things to us. And these kinds of things, those folks that are wise and prudent without God can't get it. Does that make sense to you? that makes sense? Okay. It takes a spiritual condition for us to really understand the deep things of God. Verse 23. And he turned unto his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that you see. Blessed are the eyes that see the things that you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which you see and have not seen them, and to hear those things uh, which you hear and have not heard them. All right? So Jesus is telling these 70 that went out, these are the things um, to, to, to look for and to understand. And the reason why you saw the things that you did and you were able to do those things was because, because of, of of God choosing them, Jesus choosing them, and that this is not an intellectual revelation to them. This is the Holy Spirit of God and the power of God being on them. He said to them that I, I gave to you the authority. I gave to you the authority. So we have the authority to do the same things that these disciples were experiencing, but from day to day we forget that. We forget that. When a new situation comes into our life, we start worrying and we start trying to figure out how it's going to happen. But Jesus said, I gave you the authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. So that means Jesus gave us the authority to take, take control over the conditions in our lives. Many times it's simply a matter of you saying, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you, spirit of fear. Because that spirit of fear is what is bringing that unsettling in your stomach. The spirit of fear is what, bringing, is, what bringing the, is what is bringing the unknown things in this new season that you're going into. You start wondering about, how am I going to do that? You know, you know, how am I going to raise the baby? How am I going to get through this marriage? How am I going to get this going? How am I going to, going to move? How am I going to find a new house? And all of those questions start coming into mind. So the authority that Jesus gave you is to take authority over those thoughts and say, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke those thoughts because 
God's not giving me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. God has told me that if I seek his face and just simply knock, that he will answer. You see, so this is the authority that Jesus has given us. He's given us authority to control those negative things that would try to come into our lives, you see. But many times we, uh, we forget that. So now we see that similar to the, to the 70, we have this power and authority. And then lastly, knowing all of that and talking about the wisdom that Brother Brandon read in starting up here, um, knowing all of that, go to, to uh, Matthew 6. Matthew 6. Okay. And in, and in order for us to not be concerned about going into these new seasons and wherever God might be sending us, the way he sent the disciples, and understanding those things. Don't be worried about the money you're going to take and clothing and everything like that. Just focus on what it is God is telling you to do. The last thing, then, is for us um, not, to, not to worry. So we're going to read these very familiar scriptures here. Matthew 6, verse number 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust does corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust does corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. You know? And simply put, don't be worried about your money in the bank. You know, gee whiz, how much, i got to make sure my savings account grows. I'm not saying don't do that, but what I'm saying is that don't, don't bum yourself out worrying about it and being so concerned about your finances and how much money you got in the bank. Because guess what? Moths can break through and steal. You know, and I say, well, a moth's not going to break through the bank and steal it and so forth like that, you know. But look how many times, you know, I mean, look at 1929 when the stock market took that terrible fall and people actually jumped out of windows and committed suicide. You, you, you know, we've seen in modern times where banks in, you know, in other countries have failed and they were... You know, scores, hundreds of people lined up outside hoping to get their money out and everything because they couldn't get their money. In all, in all, what God is saying here is um, obviously he's not telling us don't be concerned about, about finance because there are too many scriptures that talk about how we should save and, 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 and invest and, and tithing and offering and things like that. So finance play a, a vital part. But he's saying don't lay up that as, as your treasure house, okay? Don't think of that as being the only thing that's important in this life because if you are so pre- occupied with that the things that are transitory that go away um that's where your heart is in other words that's really is what is important to you so he says where should your treasure should be should lay up your, your treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust does corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal okay so these this is being involved with heavenly with godly things that's where your heart should be verse 21 for where your treasure is that's where your heart will be also the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be healthy, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if your eye be evil, thy, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? So what he's saying there is that if your eye is focused only on these financial things and only on the worldly things, you know how dark that is because it can only lead to things that, that does corrupt. You know, you know, so you focus on where the things of, of light are, things of God is dealing with. And, it's, and he's saying that, that if that darkness is there, how great is that darkness? 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or God and money. Okay? And again, that is meaning where money is the end-all, be-all of your life. You know, God wants us to be good stewards. 
God blesses us with money. God blesses us through other people. God blesses us through our jobs. God blesses you in so many ways with money. I mean, I don't know how many, um, you know, uh, events I've heard tell of, um, um, I, I think it was, uh, was it Copeland? Copeland, one of the one of the ministries ministers was talking about how he was uh, out mowing. No, it was Copeland. It was Copeland. He was starting up his ministry, and uh, it said it was just he and his wife Gloria and, and uh, one or two one or two people. And he had this huge facility, and one man would come and sit in the back of the room, the very last seat, every single Sunday, every single Sunday. Finally, after some time, I forget whether it was six months or a year or what. He came up to the front after service to the front of the, uh, by the pulpit, and he had a cowboy boot in his hand. And he dug into the cowboy boot, and he said, I'm giving this to you. I've been saving this money for all of this time until I could find the right place to sow my seed where the word of God was being preached. And every, all of these months, he said, I've been tithing, but I've been tithing into this boot for God. He said, Holy Spirit told me to give it to you. And he turned on it was several thousand dollars that had been, been and, and that was helping him, what helped him to launch his ministry, you know. So I'm just saying that to say that 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 that, that, that finances and money is important to, to, to God, but as God blesses us though, we need to be good stewards of that money and not just go and throw it away. Amen. So this is not saying that money is not important. The other scripture you heard, you know, the love of money is the root of evil. It's not that money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil. So if you put that before God, that becomes your master. That becomes your master. Amen. That's what it says. You cannot serve God and mammon. Verse 25. Therefore, I say unto you, therefore, I say unto you, be not anxious for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink or for your body. What you shall put on is not the life more than the food and the body more than raiment or more than clothing. Look at the fowls of the air, for they do not sow, neither do they reap nor gather into bonds, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? You ever see a bird or anything seeming to worry about where his food's going to come from? <laughs> you know, you've never seen a neurotic squirrel running around, you know, where am I going to get my nuts from or whatever. Okay, so if God cares for them, don't you think that God will care for us? But how much of a tiz do we get in when all of a sudden there's a financial need and we don't see it be able to make it? Or there's another challenge in our lives and we're not understanding how it's going to work out? Amen? Amen. So God knows what your needs are. And we're much better, than, better off than the animals and the plants. Which of you, by being anxious, can add one cubit unto your stature? You know, I mean, gee, if I was worrying, 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 and that was going to add height, I'd be six foot two by now or something, you know, if, if I thought that would, would gain the height. So, so you, you can't do anything about it, and worrying is not going to help you. And why are you anxious for raiment, for clothing? Neither the lilies of the field, um, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. But yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast down into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Amen? So in other words, by huge contrast, the plants die, they, they, they get reaped, I mean, they get cut down and get burned and everything else. But yet still, God cares for them and provides so that they can grow. Don't you think that God will provide for us, O you of little faith? Therefore, be not anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink? With what shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. So therefore, seeking first the kingdom of God... 
That's what you need to remember when that issue comes into your life, when that challenge, when that thing that comes into your life that you're worried about. Remember, seek you first the kingdom of God. Now, what does that mean on a right now basis? On a right now basis, that means that you pick up the Bible and you go into your prayer closet or you go into prayer wherever that may be. Amen? Amen? Seek you first the kingdom of God and it's right. That means it starts right there. Amen? You grab the Bible, you go into your prayer room, and you say, Lord, you and I need to talk. Amen? As I said last week, prayer is not a one-way street. It's not a monologue. It's not you just talking to God. You know, true prayer is a dialogue. You know, you send up your prayer to God, and, and then you just sit silently, and you just listen. You just listen. Listen. And you'll hear Holy Spirit speaking to you inside. You'll hear you know, and then you may come back, but Lord, you know, I'm afraid to take that step. You know, but Lord, what if, what if? And then you, then you spend some time and listen, you know, and then you'll hear, you'll hear. But Lord, why? You know, a simple why, a simple why, you know. And many times I understand that many times when we ask God that simple why, you might not get an answer. Okay. You might not get an answer, okay? And it could be many things, but it could be simply because if God was to answer you, the answer could be so complex, would you understand it? Okay? Would you understand the why, you know? Or maybe knowing the why would then eliminate or, 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 or cut back on your faith because then you know the answer, Amen? So sometimes God will not, by design, will not answer us because he wants to see how strong we're going to trust his faith. We're going to have faith and just trust him. Amen? So while I might not know the why, there may be some silence there. Then you simply say, okay, God, then I'll wait on you. Then I'll wait on you. Amen? 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 And when you get to the point in that prayer time where you're seeking first the kingdom of God, and you get, you get a response to all the other questions. But then when you say the why, all of a sudden God is silent. For you to fall back and say, okay, God, then I'll wait on you. When you say that, I promise you. No, I don't promise you. God promises you. When, I say, when you say that, you will feel a relief. You'll feel a relief. You'll, feel the, you'll feel, physically feel the burden taken off your shoulders. Because the minute that you are telling God, okay, God, I'll wait on you, then that tells God that you're releasing the responsibility to him. And that's what he wants. He wants you to know that the battle in many cases is not yours. It's his. It's his. God wants us to do things. God doesn't want us to go feed squirrels on the park bench looking for a job. He wants us to go looking for that job. Amen. 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 But the success or which job you find is up to God. Okay? So you do your prayer, you, 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 you vent, you even, you know, and I, I, I say this, understand where I'm coming from. You vent your anger, you vent your frustration. Okay, I'm not saying you go cursing God, but you let God know, God, but I've tried this, I've tried that, I'm so frustrated, you know. And, and let him hear you, let him hear you, let him hear you. He doesn't want you to sugarcoat it. I'm saying to be respectful and know who he is, obviously. You know, you don't talk to your dad that way. So you're not going to talk to God, at least you shouldn't. So you're not going to talk to God the Father that way, but let him know your frustrations. And he'll answer you. And then comes the why, because this is the biggest part that holds us Christians back and keeps us worrying and with upset stomachs, is that when we say the why, we don't get that answer. Okay? So the answer is, is basically, I'm not ready to tell you, or I'm not finished working, your life is still under construction, 
or you just need to trust me. So the minute that you say, and I'm telling you, the minute you just say, okay, God, no answer, then it's up to you. It's up to you. You don't expect me to go forth treading someplace that's totally unknown. So, so I mean, I'm trusting you then to order my steps. And then the minute you do that, then you'll know that, 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 that God's in charge and you'll be able to relax. Amen? Amen? God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Praise God. I pray this message was a blessing to you, and think about it, chew on it. And now, before we close, let us prepare to honor God with our tithes.